Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Nicole Denson. A native Detroiter, Nicole is a mother, artist, and social justice activist. She graduated from Michigan State University School of Psychology, and she's currently pursuing her master's degree at Capella University. Nicole has volunteered within the community in many capacities. She's most proud of her work with Alternative for Girls, an organization that helps homeless and high-risk girls and young women avoid violence, teen pregnancy, and exploitation. She's currently the Associate Director of Advocacy Services for the Wayne County Sexual Assault Forensic Examiner's Advocacy Program, known as WC Safe. WC Safe's mission is to provide comprehensive and compassionate medical forensic care to Wayne County survivors of sexual assault in a timely manner with immediate crisis advocacy, follow-up care and counseling, and provision of expert witness testimony. She is awarded Advocate of the Year in 2015 and 16 by the WC SAFE program. In 2017, she spearheaded the support group, one of the only groups of its kind in the Metro Detroit area for LGBTQ people who have experienced sexual assault. Nicole has advocated in creating systems for change and activism within Michigan State University's campus, Oakland County Police Stations, and courts, Detroit Police Department, 36th District Court, 3rd District Court, Wayne County Prosecutor's Office, and Frank Murphy Hall of Justice. Nicole believes that all people deserve equal rights, respect, dignity, and safety. Using her 15 years of experience working with survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence with an extensive background working within the criminal justice system as a lens. She's been thinking about and engaged in both the Me Too and Mute R. Kelly movement and joins collections by Michelle Brown to share her observations, thoughts, and strategies for creating change. Nicole, welcome to collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Doing great, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be on your show today. Well, I'll tell you, you have been a busy lady. I saw you in Lansing in January. <laughs> I see you here, there, and everywhere, you know, just speaking up. And it's really great to see you there in the forefront. Um, what got you this advocacy 
bug in you. I, I know you, you volunteered with an alternative for girls, but how young were you when you started thinking, you know, that this was what you wanted to do with your life? You know, I have a, a quintessential thought that, you know, any type of art, activism, life, passion, or work calls you. Um, so it was uh, a, a passion of mine. They called me when it, uh, the violence of sexual assault and domestic violence um, entered my uh, family. And so at a young age, I saw um, my family impacted um, in the city of Detroit. In the city of Detroit, um, just being a native, I mean, it's a beautiful city, and we have so much to be proud of. But to be honest, it, it really shed a light on an early age to me that that things weren't fair for all and that um, I wanted to start my life by trying to um, find uh, equality or justice or a voice for others. Um, so with that being said, um, I also encountered a lot of trauma uh, within um, living in the city of Detroit and, and just being a woman um, in this country, and an African-American woman. And so I knew going off to college that I wanted to come back uh, to my city and uh, make a change. Well, you know, I think that especially like Alternative for Girls is an organization yes. that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, I've known about Alternative for Girls long before they had the building on Grand wow. Boulevard when they operated out of a church. I mean, and wow. um, and I know people, I remember um, being in, introduced to them because they, they would go out and find young girls who were at risk, who were mm -hmm. at risk um, for so many reasons. Some of them, you know, ended up in bad situations. Some of them had bad home lives. Some of them were mm -hmm. being victimized or being victimized again. And to watch how it went from that to people coming together. And the good news is that they have this great facility that's doing mm -hmm. work. But the bad news is that they're still having to do that. And, uh, you know, I, you know, my work um, in Alternative for Girls was in a volunteer capacity, and I, I love that organization. It taught me so much, so I agree with you. It's, like, near and dear to my heart. And I worked as um, in the new uh, Safe Choices Outreach Program. Um, so what I did was, you know, I, I drove the van or I was a passenger, and we actually drove around the city of Detroit connecting with women, men, um, both cis and trans, um, who um, were in commercial sex work. And um, it really was humbling and gave me a lot of humility um, to all individuals and, and how sexual violence plagued, um, you know, the, our streets. Um, and so it was just a beautiful thing to have that connection with the women and men and provide food and condoms and, and uh, self-care packages and let them know, I, you know, regardless of, you know, whether, and we'll talk about human trafficking later, but whether you were trafficked or you feel it's your choice, you still deserve safety. You still deserve um, health and, and access to resources. Mm -hmm. Do you get back to... I mean, it seems like a lot of your work is intertwined. Do you still find yeah. that, you know, you touch base, you know, with Alternative for Girls or that you see how has the role changed to where, you know, now that people are 
many times people think, oh, it's just bad, bad kids. Only bad kids would need it. Only bad girls would need that. But now, you know, people are seeing that sometimes it can be a good kid in bad circumstances. You know, I would say that most of them are good kids in bad circumstances. But how do you see that it's changing for young people? Or do you feel that it's, it's even worse for young people? You know, I, I'm always like um, my favorite uh, uh, quote from Gloria Steinem is like, I am not a dreamaholic, I'm a hoopaholic. <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, I, I, I hope that this, these conversations um, are giving people understanding of what human trafficking is and that if you see someone who is um, into commercial sex, whether that is on the Internet or on the streets, um, a lot of a lot of uh, these young women and men uh, leave abusive homes. They leave homes filled with sexual assault, um, substance abuse, um, being beat, and so they leave and they go out into the streets. And before they're even given the opportunity to learn or develop an education, here they are on the streets. And many times, um, traffickers and people. Um, who are older, um, take advantage of them over and over again. And that leads them into um, this um, this rabbit hole where it feels like they can't get out of. And so they're, from what I've seen of doing exams and um, the Wayne County Safe and doing counseling, these are wonderful kids. These are wonderful people mm-hmm. who did not have a fair start. They didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really hard to... To, to try to change that, but it it does, once you let a child or a person know that you are authentically there and that you care, there's always hope. Like, it, it, I do think things are changing because we're having conversations. You know, and I'm trying to think of a name of the organization, but there was a, it's in New York, and there was, um, they, in fact, they actually did a documentary on it, and they showed how, often and you know and that's why i like about you being out there and showing this positive images that sometimes that these people target girls who don't see those positive images might not Mm -hmm. feel that they're the pretty one and Mm -hmm. um you know and so it's important to me that you know women uh you know and not just you know for ones that they they put up there on the billboards which is an often is an unattainable, you know, dream. But real right. women of all shapes, sizes, abilities, you know, walks of life are out there. They're doing that. You went on and you went to school and you're doing it, but you still stand out, and I don't know, you know, as a role model, and I know that that's something that often people go like, I'm just being me. You're just being the person that you mm-hmm. were meant to be. But you mm-hmm. are a role model for young people who are looking at, and you're also a mother. So you have, and I often tell people, you know, that as a mother, you have to recognize that your kids learn as much watching yes. how you walk through life as what you tell yes. them. How aware are you of that role as you have gone to all of these, these you know, from being a volunteer, then going back to school, you know, finishing your degree, you're working on your your uh, master's, and the work that you're doing, how aware are you that 
young women, young girls are looking at you and the message that you need to be projecting as you do this walk? I, you know, this is like an amazing <laughs> question because uh, me becoming a mother uh, really propelled the way I decided to um, foster my activism. I feel like a lot of people um, always ask yesterday, you know, when did you find your work? And, you know, living in the intersectional way that I do, you know, I realize I wear many hats. You know, I, I'm, I'm all of me is like a mosaic. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm African-American, um, I'm bisexual, um, I am a mother, I am a student. I have all of these different layers um, that people could deem oppression, but I deem as strength because I bring all of that to the table. And I'm also a sexual assault survivor. So one of the uh, most impactful things I do is I share all of those experiences because I hope that that lets other people know that they can as well. And I feel like when you stand in your truth, no matter who you are, that is how you, that is how you show your most beauty is standing in your truth. And I had to fully get comfortable with all of those mini hats. So the way that I've looked at myself of being a role model is speaking my truth. Um, and so when I do, whether that's speaking engagements or I do uh, panels, like I speak for the future. I speak for hope that there's other leaders, young leaders in the audience. Because as a mother, I pray my daughter does not have to deal with the violence and the trauma I have to the city of Detroit. I hope that as her being a little black girl, um, that she learns and she knows her worth. Like her first movie was Black Panther. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and her eyes lit up when she just saw like all of these, all of these amazing African and African American people on the screen. And that is, you have to see representation. You have to see people talking in, in order to really see yourself. Some of us didn't. Some of us just, you know, went with it and said, okay, I have to make change. I don't see anybody else doing this, but I know that this is a mission for me. But some people are inspired by seeing people like Oprah. They are inspired by seeing Angela Davis and, 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 and different individuals, and especially women of color that you normally wouldn't see. So, to me, um, I am in every way, form aware um, of no longer feeling silent in the privilege of having a voice with people listening now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was having a conversation with someone about Black Panther. And, you know, and we think about media and for generations, you know, the people mm-hmm. who you saw up there were not images that you could relate to, you know, I mean, we had one or two people, but even then, you know, it really might not have been like that. But when you think of many people can always talk about that first movie that really they mm-hmm. saw it and they were like, wow, and I can do this, or I can be that. And to think of having, I told someone, I wish I had a little daughter to take to go mm-hmm. see Black Panther because of mm-hmm. all of these strong images of black women. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, it's just like it's just like 
Amazing. You know, the movie that I was thinking of, a documentary and organization that I, I, I remembered it finally in New York, it's called GEMS, G-E-M-S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, what they had done, which I thought was just amazing, was not only did they do this documentary, a it came from undercover film of police stings on these people who were victimizing the girl. But then afterwards, they they got them and a lot of the fines and stuff went back into the program to to help girls, but it was like, really, you saw that, you know, where are mm-hmm. the regular people? No, 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 you're not, you know, you might not be this, you're not that. And how an everyday mom, here you are, a mom, you're an artist, mm-hmm. you're wearing all of these hats to wear for a, a woman, a girl, you are so relatable. And I think that that's one of the things that I noticed about you because, you know, I'm one of those Facebook people, you know, and I see, <laughs> and you've got this big, beautiful smile, and a way oh, that seems you. so welcoming and, uh, and inclusive. And yes. that's the beauty of, like, when you talk about the Women's March and all of these other things where you see and you have all of these people who are out there, maybe who are, for the first time, standing shoulder to shoulder and recognizing that what you are talking about you know, some of the things that the women's mark, I mean, it affects all of these women. What affects a girl yeah. affects all of these girls, not just one group. You are working with WC Safe. What? How did you end up with that? And I know that a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, we have seen the headlines of the survivors, people who have survived by the sexual assault, but then they're almost victimized because so many of the rape kits and things got lost, and so it's like you're still a victim. How did you get involved in WC Safe, and what exact, and I know that you're also on the Sexual Assault Kit Task Force. What is that doing, and how is that, first of all, helping women come forward who have been assaulted, but then also making sure that they're going to get, um, their the due diligence is going to be done as far as following through investigating their rape kits getting the sexual assault kits being processed properly how did you get involved in that and can you talk a little bit about that yes of course so michelle i uh for the last you know i think all my career has been in uh violence so i'm happy you said that um the fortunate thing is violence is intertwined even the perpetrators who commit violence uh, is intertwined, and sometimes I wish I could let a lot of law enforcement know that if you know you you took sexual assault some you took sexual assault serious, or you took intimate partner as serious as you do, or it's easy to charge as much as a home invasion, you would catch the same perpetrator. And what we've seen is that has came to be, especially with the untested. A rape kiss, and I'll talk about that in a second. But um, I really worked with intimate partner violence, and I saw a lot of sexual assault within those relationships, uh, reproduction, coercion, and control. Um, a lot of um, even you know human trafficking within those relationships. So my um, love for helping individuals um, who have been sexually assaulted really started on Michigan State's campus. Uh, being a survivor who was sexually assaulted on Michigan State campus, I saw that there was a need um, for 
uh, advocates. There was a need for support. So I started doing that work. So it was a perfect marriage. Um, for my activism and my counseling uh, when I joined Wayne County Safe in 2009. Um, and I've been there ever since in different capacities. Uh, yet what Wayne County Safe does, um, we started in 2006, um, we've helped over 10,000 survivors. Um, and, and so what we do is we, again, offer that compassionate care, which means you can come to our office if for the advocacy and counseling part, which I'm the director of, one of the directors, and you can actually, it does not matter, like if you were sexually uh five years ago, 10 years ago, as a child, we offer free counseling, free legal advocacy, uh, and no cost to the survivor whatsoever. Um, and we also offer free transportation and we help with resources. Because a lot of times the people will say, you know, if, if they just talk about the trauma, it, you know, it, it, it gets better. But you have to understand, again, mm-hmm. the intersectional lens, that the sexual assault is just one aspect of a person who comes to our doors life. So before we can even talk about the trauma, you have to get the person to um, have stability. And what that means is, unlike a lot of demographics, some of our survivors don't have a place to stay. They don't have food. They don't have even clothes. We have clothing in our organization. So that is part of the advocacy um, and counseling program that, that I am one of the directors of. But we have another part of our organization that's more well-known, which is we actually facilitate all of the rape kits for Wayne County. Um, and so, you know, that is where I started doing a lot of um, work in knowing the, the, the trauma and the crisis that happens. And so what usually goes on is someone will report to the police or they'll report to the hospital. And within 120 hours, five days of a sexual assault, you can come into one of our clinic sites, um, which is um, Detroit Receiver Hospital, Sinai Grace, um, St. John. Uh, and also uh, we have a partnership with uh, kids talk um, to help uh, the adolescent and, and children population, and also Taylor because we know that um, down river um, that's a large large part of Wayne County. And so what we do is a um, trained advocate and a forensic examiner would go into any hospital with these clinic sites and provide medical forensic uh, examinations, which means the rape kit. Mm-hmm. And our organization has really helped with not only um, legislation, we are helping with the tracking system of these kids, and we're letting the nation know that these aren't just kids, these are people. Um, and so to talk about the SAC, the Wayne County SAC Kit Task Force is basically uh, a response to those 11,000 untested rape kids. And just being a... Uh, a young black woman in the city of Detroit, that when I saw that and I heard that, I was outraged. And mm-hmm. so this is a response to that. And so what we do is we help them uh, notify the survivors, and then the survivors have a option on whether they want to go forward. Um, and we've had all types of responses for the survivors, yet we are a nonprofit organization. So the beauty is you don't have to 
go through that legal process, whether it just mm-hmm. happened or it happened 10 years ago. Wayne County Safe will support you. You know, I think one of the other things that I thought think was really good is we were talking about how you spearheaded a support group for LGBTQ people. And, you know, because often it's just like, like you were talking about, like, and I've talked to Danny Woods. I've talked to Bree Campbell, where Danny was talking yeah. about how, how initially how it bothered her that um, some of her police people, comrades or buddies or whatever, uh, co-workers, they would hear, get a report of something that happened and they found out it was a same-sex couple or, uh, you know, they would go like, oh, well, you know, it's just whatever is happening. And in the mm-hmm. trans community, who some people who feel that, well, that if a there's automatic assumption that, you know, that first of all, well, if she's trans and she's out there on the street, well, she has to be doing sex work, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. Mm-hmm. But then somehow or other that, well, if you got raped or that it isn't rape, you know, it's like, well, what did you expect? And for many gay kids, mm-hmm. even gay guys who have been... Yes. A sexually assaulted and that part that within the system to not have a group that's focused on and recognizes and acknowledges this to what you want to walk into the police department you're almost like opening right. yourself up for additional trauma and right. so that to have a, a to spearhead a support group to say we hear you you know mm-hmm. what happened is real how important was that? I mean, how did you, how did you come about doing that? How did, what was the response to it? What was the help? What barriers did you have to go over to sort of say, hey, it's not just, you know, a heterosexual problem. It can happen to, to people who are LGBTQ and we need to provide the same type of support for them. You, you know what really, really helps? And, and, and thank you for that. And I, what really helps me is I talk about marginalized communities. Um, I talk about the vulnerability of individuals, just like we talked about earlier with uh, homeless youth who are out in the street or um, with alternative for girls. All the equal, the equal equation to all of this is vulnerability. Um, and so it's not to say that all of us aren't don't have strength, but it's to say that rapists love power and control, silence, and really trying to find any vulnerabilities in their um, victims. And so one of the things is uh, a bisexual women, every one in two have been sexually assaulted. Trans women, over 60% have been sexually assaulted or victimized, one in two. You know, and so um, in lesbian women, 40% um, have been sexually assaulted. So when you put on these uh, these many different hats, like if you look at me, I have so many, I know they're my strengths, but I have so many um, risk factors. And so mm-hmm. you have to look at that and you have to talk about that um, because when you don't talk about those things, you're not helping youth. Um, and so this uh, group was really from an organization called Naomi's Nest, who um, we've been working with, um, who was reaching out throughout the county and had a hard time finding, uh, you know, someone who identified in the LGBT community because they noticed the correlation between, um, and you know, I always, this is a wonderful um, partner of ours who does substance abuse treatment. 
And so a lot of women were identified. Um, but what we learned was uh, they wanted someone that, that actually walked the walk, talked the talk. So they kept looking, kept looking, they found me. And I was mm-hmm. honored to do it. Um, and so what happened was I also partnered with LGBT Detroit um, and I found a facilitator named Sharon Fincher. And we basically started this group and it has been phenomenal because one of the things is, you know, it, it's really hard when you identify as bisexual or trans or lesbian to say, I am a survivor of intimate partner violence. I am a survivor of sexual assault because you feel judged. And when you don't have groups that have any of the individuals for, who are undocumented or LGBT or age, you know, we have uh, at Wayne County Faith a over 40 group. You have to say these things because when you don't have groups that are different, you you really are making, making these uh, communities feel uh, invisible. And invisibility is the worst thing you can do. So we've had this group for over a year, um, and it has been phenomenal um, just to even, like, have a, a space to talk about that. You know, I think, too, the other thing that I think that, that's really powerful, and um, and I know that the Sasha Center did it, but I, I hear you're talking it, too, about, you know, it's more than saying, oh, it'll get better. You know, we know mm-hmm. that it will get better. But um, to have people who are visible and willing to say, I'm a survivor of it, and, and not only that, you know, say, oh, it'll get better, I survived, but also, what are the things that you need right now? Like you said, some people don't have clothes. And so to right. recognize that it does get better, you did survive and you will survive, but you need the support and to acknowledge that it's more than support, that in between getting uh, into the, the justice system, that there are these things that you need, that, you know, maybe your family has abandoned you. Maybe you don't have a right. family, but then there's support for it. So that part right. of being survivors, you know, not victims. Right. And that's what I hear coming through is that you're saying, you're not victims, you're survivors, and we're here for you. Right. And our groups are, are definitely different. Uh, is where, you know, it's sometimes there's art um, that we have um, as a tool for healing. Um, we don't come in as experts. Um, we don't come in uh, thinking that we know it all. What we do is we have uh, ambassadors, and so the ambassadors that are part of the group help us run the group inside the facility. You know, and just like Sasha Center, who is our sister organization, and Kalima is one of my mentors, you know, for all of our community, just sometimes sitting around and talking is not enough. We need action. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. when Wayne comes safe, we actually have like an advocacy and activism training class where we're teaching uh, survivors, and it's led by Glenda Cook, we're teaching survivors uh, how to do activism in the community. And so I'm, I'm happy you said that because you have to um, try different methods um, with individuals, because one size doesn't fit all. And I think that's why, um, especially a lot of black women don't really 
feel like they can trust therapy because a lot of people have not done the cultural research to understand what works for us. So that's why I love partnering with Sasha Center and the work that we're doing um, because over 80% of, of the people we see are from marginalized communities. So mm-hmm. um, I'm happy you said that because, you know, it's, it's about recognizing you're a survivor and, and then seeing what justice means for you and what, what in, after integrating this experience, do you want to do moving forward? Mm-hmm. Well, Nicole, we're going to take our first break here on Collections by Michelle. And when we come back, I want to talk about hashtags, Me Too and Mute Our Kelly. So we will be right back. We're talking with Nicole Denson, and we will be right back on Collections by Michelle Brown. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back and if you're just joining me we are talking with Nicole Denson she's a mother an artist a social justice activist and you know Nicole we were talking about at the end you're saying how giving people actions and things that they can go ahead and do now we all have heard this has been the big year of hashtag me too and you know and I think it's it's lovely you know I mean I think mm-hmm. it's great that it, it, it's brought things to to the forefront it was you know you have actresses and things to come out and then pretty soon everybody's been saying it but we know you know mm-hmm. that most of the people who you've been seeing have we have been saying hashtag me first you know mm-hmm. it's been mm-hmm. happening how has this movement and as far as when you were talking about giving survivors something that they can be get involved in an in advocacy how has hashtag me too helped and how has you have you been able to to make sure that people recognize it's not just hollywood it's not just mm-hmm. you know people with politicians it's it could be the, your neighbor how has that yeah. amplified that voice and given a direction for survivors well yeah, i feel like the hashtag me too um, when I remember the first day, it, it went viral, and it was, like, so much um, connection and love between uh, a lot of people um, through social media. Uh, you know, so for me, uh, it, it really spearheaded this, these conversations. Uh, and I was just happy for once that, you know, when we're soon to, to, to be through um, HBO, uh, we will be talking about um, April 16th, I Am Evidence. Uh, we'll come out mm-hmm. to talk about the rape kids. But through Detroit, we constantly talk about rape kids, rape kids, um, prosecution for 
uh, rapist. And the Me Too was really, really uh, like a breath of fresh air for me because it was survivors' voices standing in their truth and speaking. Um, and so it was it was beautiful to see that. And then when it started to really turn into, I feel this this movement that we're on the brinks and the, the forefront of now. And, you know, they even listen to Gloria Steinem. I, I went to a uh, panel um, and she was just talking about, we don't know what direction it's going to go in. Um, so for me, uh, with that being the beginning, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. But what I saw was a lot of the Me Too uh, survivors from Hollywood um, with Harvey Weinstein and uh, Matt Lauer and Kevin Spacey and um, a lot of the individuals um, uh, <laughs> that are actually um, doing sexual assault and sexual harassment and being held accountable were white men and majority white survivors. Um, and that's just only one part of it. I mean, they they are a wealth. Um, and they are what society will call your typical victim. I like to call it like a lifetime victim, you know, where mm-hmm. you just think the person is going to look a certain way and be crying. And to be honest, there is no, everyone could be impacted by sexual assault. I mean, every 98 seconds, someone starts to assault it. And there's no right or wrong way to react. And so it started this conversation yet um, I am happy that I am constantly being asked to talk about it because I bring an understanding of what a, a survivor that doesn't look like that or doesn't come from aspects of wealth or the privilege that they have, and I'm still in me too. Mm-hmm. And then as the movement went along and I realized um, very early on who Toronto Burke was, to me, that was a symbolism of what society does with black, you know, towards black women um, as a whole. So um, I'm all on board for the Me Too movement, yet I really had to take a stance for, again, disadvantaged uh, survivors, uh, disadvantaged uh, women of color, LGBT people who are left out of this Me Too conversation. Um, that is not just Hollywood. Um, it's happening um, for women of color that are actually being sexually assaulted on their way to work, on their way to school. And then for others, they're sexually assaulted in their school. Or they have to make a choice to say, I can't lose my job because I'm a single mother and I have mm-hmm. to make a way. You know, mm-hmm. or survivors who are undocumented and can't report their boss because they know the ramifications or human trafficking survivors who have no type of control over any of their identity. So to me, the Me Too can't just be for Hollywood and corporate America. It has to be for all of us. And um, I had an interesting meeting with this woman. I brought that up because I said, my fear is that it would be like the first wave of feminism all over again, where it will get to you. And she brought up about corporate America and the, the, the horrendous treatment. And I acknowledge that that has been the past. But I want us to do something different. I don't want to be tokenized. I want to, as a movement for us to talk about everyone and not just the people who everyone cares about. 
You know, I think that it, it, it's interesting how you brought up that part about that the choices because I was at um, I've been doing some some shows on you know older Americans and people doing it, and I had met uh, uh elder who she said how basically her job had been she had been a domestic worker and that mm-hmm. there were things that she put up with and she said you know that she had to to keep that job and she said she hoped that those kind of stories because she said you know that there were still women who were in domestic work or who were at especially a very low income jobs and they and they were lucky to get them you know hoping to hang on to it and that this was still happening and that was her thing but she said that her thing was like well i hope they don't forget about us and thinking about you know movie stars and all of that and what I like about when I hear you talk is that you are making sure that that voice stays with those who clearly this has been going on for generations and it's systemic in workplace and, and in women having to make a way out of no way, which means that sometimes they put up with and, you know, just shut their mouth and, didn't say it was sexual assault. People knew it, but they didn't say anything. Exactly. And, and you know, I think um, as African-American men and women, we know that all too well, you know, with the historical trauma of being irreparable. Uh, you know, so we have been screaming, ain't I a woman and don't I deserve rights uh, since the beginning of time, you know, um, here on this continent. So, um, to me, these are conversations we've always had. Yet, again, it, you know, it's the nation now talking about these things. Um, but when I talk to many survivors, um, you know, it's, it's almost a, well, you know, this, this happens. And I'm happy the nation is finally on board. But we know this. My, my mother has talked about this. It's been talked about in my family. Um, like you said, with with being workers in, in, in homes that were primarily white and having to feel like, you know, again, it's always this question of your know, racial solidarity or, you know, you having to deal with the sexual harassment or the in uh, treatment. And I say that because uh, with my many different hats, people have asked me to almost pick a side. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, when I stand up for Me Too, um, I have a lot of people within my community who says, oh, that's like a white woman's issue. And mm-hmm. I say to them, you know, you know, what about police brutality and the fact that police are um, harming young black men? And I say, yes. And I have people again, in my community, LGBT, so say, those are straight issues. They're not talking about trans women of color who are being brutally beaten to death every uh-huh. day. Either of those feminists or uh, Black Lives Matter movements are talking about that. And I ask people, why can't I speak about the injustice of all of those? You have to, and, and that's the thing, you have to understand that all of that is wrong and speak about it. So I think that when I speak about the Me Too movement, I have to bring in those marginalized communities because no one else is, is doing that as a whole. And, you know, and sometimes there's, there's those conversations that we have, like how many people are surprised, you know, especially, you know, white people who will go like, oh, 
do as a black mother, did you really have that conversation with your son? And I'm going like, yes, I did. But how often I know black women, I can recall having a job and someone telling me, well, just don't, you know, let yourself have to work late or get caught up alone with so-and-so. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, and it's like about keeping your job, you know, but don't do any, you know, don't dress too provocatively. Right. Don't give them this. So women... We have had that conversation. So like you said, they say it's a white woman thing, but if you really drill down, how many of these people who are saying that have not had that conversation? Right. You know? So, I, you know, it is. Now, I have a question. Now, I know that um, you went to, you were talking about how you went to Michigan State, that you were assaulted at Michigan State. Did mm-hmm. you... Did you, and and now of course everyone is all about assault on campus because mm-hmm. of Dr. Nasser and most of his victims who you saw parade up there were young white women. But on campus, campuses across the country, do you feel mm-hmm. that in part because of the Me Too or maybe now the work that the Women's March and people like you who are getting up there and talking about saying that it's all of us that young women of color who are on campus now will, will be heard? Again, I think the campuses, um, they've been under investigation for years now uh, for mm-hmm. uh, the way they've handled uh, sexual assault on, on campus. And so before the Me Too, um, uh, like looking at documentaries such as Hunting Ground, in Title IX and, and all of these uh, components to the universities basically trying to run their rights. Um, and and so I say that it's going to take a lot longer for uh, women of color on campuses, I feel, to trust the system. Um, because one of the things is you have to trust the system, but you have to have support. You have to have a community. It takes a village. And for myself, um, it was very difficult because being sexually assaulted by a black man and black men on campus um, was another barrier to me reporting. Um, We all, uh, and and she usually come from uh, the city of Detroit. Uh, We usually, um, in the past, uh, would all live in the same areas. And so we would all also have different, even if activities on campus, um, activities off of campus, or even parties. So you have to understand that in a um, college of thousands and thousands of people, the African-American communities are small. So it's so many barriers to the fact that if you tell, you feel, that you will have to see this um, assailant or these assailants every day. And with communities that small, it's very impactful um, to really start to have your voice. Um, a lot of people aren't paying attention to HBCUs and the fact that mm-hmm. it's part, again, that racial solidarity and the way people um, in our culture have, you know, said a woman is being fast or she's this or she's that. It's victim blaming just like white culture, but it's also, you know, having to really try to get through school, try to get over these barriers, try to trust the system, um, the, the investigation part and, and the reporting part 
when, you know, it, it hasn't really been in the best favor. So one of the great things that every college is having is they're having not only these conversations, but people have held them accountable. So they're changing some of the ways when you enter college, you're being talked about um, having conversations about sexual assault. Um, advocates are being trained. So I think that eventually we will get there, but until African-American women will see people, advocates like them on campus that will say, you know, I will be here to help you regardless of what you're going through, it's going to be different because you have those layers of oppression. Well, you know, and that's sort of like, it's an interesting segue because, you know, I said I want to talk about the mute R. Kelly, but okay, with all of, often when the Me Too thing, people came up and they were like, well, all of these people knew it. Okay. And they said, well, how come? But there is that part that, okay, that power and, mm-hmm. and power in position, because you said, okay, Weinstein might have had power and position. There's power in community because, like, particularly, like, if you're in a black community and maybe Tommy is the first one to go to college mm-hmm. and sometimes there's that pushback, that power from the community to say, you know, like, well, don't report this. If you do that, you're going to ruin right. it. And he's the hope of the community. There's power right. And I can imagine what does it mean when you you know that here's someone who has a history of bad behavior, sexual abuse, and people line up to get t- tickets to go see R. Kelly, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what does it say if you are a victim of or if you have someone who you perceive as having power, either through position from the where the community has given them power that that makes it difficult why is r kelly still selling all these tickets why are people like i know women who went mm-hmm. when people were out there protesting and said i know i shouldn't but i sure like that song mm-hmm. what <laughs> you know why and <laughs> i mean i'm you know it's like you're ready to pull your hair out you know i know i know i was just at this the nail shop uh, yesterday, getting ready for my event. You know, I had to get my nails cute. And then R. Kelly came on the TV screen. I said, oh, my gosh, like, God, goodness. You know, his video came on, you know. So I was just thinking to myself, would this man leave me alone? <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> I, can't mm-hmm. even, I can't even do self-care. But you bring up a really great question because R. Kelly's biggest victim also his biggest thing. And Uncle, you know, Uncle Charlie, uh, people loved him. Like, and that was the hardest thing about um, organizing this movement, um, you know, I tell you, Detroit, because he was with uh, Charlie Wilson. Everybody nicknamed him Uncle Charlie. But mm-hmm. I like to think of our Kelly as the uncle in the family. Everybody knows you shouldn't sit on that uncle's lap. You shouldn't mm-hmm. get along with that uncle. You know, he don't, don't, you know, just give him one of the little pumps and keep it moving. And so everyone knows what's going on in this family. Everybody knows Thanksgiving, he's there, but ain't nobody going to say that. That's how mm-hmm. I felt. I felt like when Karima says, you know, doing um, activism and counseling for black women is like the new Underground Railroad. 
And mm-hmm. I think that's so profound. That's why I'm asking my girl. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. so profound because we had the biggest backlash from women that look just like us. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, I, and I came and we came from a place of empathy and love because to me, unlike the Hollywood, like movies, you may watch a movie like once or twice, but this man has been on our airwaves for 20 plus years, whether we knew he was writing the song or whether he was singing it. So as a young black woman, I knew when I started this year, I tell you, Detroit and Karima helped me spirit. Um, I knew I had my hands full. Because um, he comes here every year, Michelle, like every mm-hmm. year he comes, mm-hmm. and he sold out. But he did not sell out this time. Mm-hmm. He did not. And this is a national movement. Um, Kayette Barnes started this in 2017, um, and she is phenomenal. She's like a, another mentor to me at calls and just developed a sisterhood because it's hard. Um, R. Kelly has now lost $8.6 million. Um, we've canceled eight shows across the country, uh, and um, we're continuously hoping um, the country will see that he needs to be stopped as well because you're talking about a Me Too, Michelle. Aaliyah's mm-hmm. cry for for help in writing, and she's writing age ain't nothing but a number, for her getting mm-hmm. married at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. What did that say? You know, you look at pictures of them. He dressed her like him. You know, this man has started this a long time ago. And, you know, Leah's our, our big girl, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. But yet there was no outrage in what happened to her. And, and you know, and you, know and, you, and you think about it, just like you said, her, you know, because you made me think of I can recall um, as as a kid, you know how you always have, like you said, there's always that uncle. And, but mm-hmm. if you don't say something is wrong, because I can recall being chastised because we had that uncle who was coming over who, who I can just recall, I just didn't like the way that he always wanted to kiss everybody. And yeah. once he was, he, when, he, when he pulled up and I ran outside and I hollered, go home, go home. And I can remember my mother <laughs> chastising me and saying, that's not nice. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not nice. And I saying, you know, and she and and when I said I just don't like the way I don't want him to kiss me, she said, Well you sit over here by me. But he was mm-hmm. still at every holiday he was there. And yes. we have that way. It's just like we know Aaliyah's our baby girl, but here comes our Kelly and we know he was wrong. We know what mm-hmm. he said. And 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 imagine how much he has made where he can stand to have lost that much. And he yeah. still, you know, I mean, it's just like we have to, you know, when do we stand up for our kids and say, you know, no. I mean, why didn't Uncle Charlie say, you know, you know, man, I don't know. You know, I would have, right. I think we, we, could, we could have packed it just for him if he had said that, no, I don't need you on this with me. I won't perform with you. So, I mean, right. why? I mean, because, you know, as long as people will buy the tickets, he's going to, mm-hmm. you know, somebody venue is going to do it. I'm glad that it's happening. But at the other point, like you said, you want to hear our community 
stand up and say for our girls, you know what? Yes. That man did this and we're done with it. Yes. You know, like we showed up in Atlanta, you know, and again, the, my, the, the best thing is, you know, believe black women. But, but that's, that's long. That is a long term truth because we showed up in numbers to make sure Roy Moore was not elected. And mm-hmm. my thought is, can we show up in large numbers to stop our Kelly? Because his money and people's compliance and silence is helping him continue the abuse to the young girls that he is affecting now. And they might, quote unquote, be of legal age, but that doesn't mean that they are not under the, the Stockholm Syndrome or the spells that this man has promised them power to the music industry, has utilized tactics of power control to commit abuse and violence and sexual assault. You know, so if we are, if we are silent, you know, silent, then there's not going to be anything that's going to be um, accomplished. And I'll tell you one thing, um, I really learned the power of aspiring allies, you know, because, you know, I had a lot of wonderful black women that supported me, but I also had a lot of white women that supported me. Mm-hmm. And I got backlash about that. And I'm saying mm-hmm. to myself, you know, anybody who doesn't believe that a perpetrator to sexually assault children and individuals is a, a team player in my book. And that was mm-hmm. the purpose of us developing this Mid Kelly Detroit movement, is because we had people of all walks of life, whether that included, um, you know, individuals who identify as LGBT, we had artists. Um, we had uh, singers, poets, um, we had all types of people. And, and to me, that is what I felt the Me Too was missing is because we had people from marginalized communities in the forefront of leadership making sure that other marginalized communities were at the table. And to me, a lot of people say, well, it shouldn't be all about R. Kelly. It's not. It's also about, mm-hmm. it is all about him. Let me say that. But it's also all about the, the silence will not protect, like Audrey Lord says. And we've been too silent in our in our community because we have thought that racial solidarity comes first. And on the backhand and on the back of a lot of women of color. And to me, R. Kelly is the biggest symbol and poster child for that. Well, you know, isn't it? I mean, it's almost like this this, this web we weave when you work intersectionally and social justice is intersectional because it is not against black men okay it is against sexual assault and recognizing that here he is you know we've put in so much cachet on stardom so it's the same as like with him with any of these people who are big stars because, like I said, our kids, our young men are learning. And as long as mm-hmm. they see that people who have fame and fortune do this and no one's going to say it, what we're doing is breeding that next generation of predators. Right. So, right. You know, so, some, so sometimes we can come together on that. Yes, as black people, we don't need to. We need to stop supporting him. But 
everybody should be yes. against what he represents. That's the exact message. That is the exact mm-hmm. message that I wanted to, to get across. And I think, you know, they did a wonderful job, um, all of the news articles, because um, we had a lot of great um, publicity. And it wasn't um, for us. It was for the message of Black Girls Matter, Sexual Assault Survivors Matter. And when I say Black Girls, I say it unapologetically because um, the rates that we have are so high. And for every one girl who reports, Black girl that reports, 15 don't. You know, and so I wanted to say that because that was most of his survivors. And I always question myself and say, if R. Kelly's survivors were white, would his music career be over? And 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 so you know, we we know we couldn't stop this concert, uh, and that was okay. Yet we stopped a lot of the ticket sales, and we created a bigger message and a bigger conversation. Um, and so you know, we focused a lot on the perpetrator. And so like the next steps, you know, are focusing on survivors in the community. Um, April seventh, uh, Wayne County State has. Um, a wonderful fifth annual program called Voices. So, like, once again, we know that the arts are healing. Um, Mm -hmm. So we have uh, visual arts. We have survivors selling jewelry. um, We have um, survivor speakers. um, And so we're trying to, like, again, give a a space, a brave space for survivors who want to um, share their story and also have a night to just relax and have fun and, and, and really do that. And, and and that doesn't stop there. You know, April is sexual assault awareness month. So I thought it was perfect time and he brought his dirty old self here <laughs> because, because we can start transitioning to this conversation that even though there's been a Me Too movement every April of sexual assault awareness month. And um you know, it's not well, going to end we, or stop. Uh-huh. Well, you know, before, you know, we're going to take a break in there, but before we go to that, you know, I know that you were at the, at the Women's March, and you just mentioned how, you know, like you were talking about that, then and other people say, like, is this a white issue? Is that a black issue? Is this, you know, how important is it to you that you stand in these spaces, like at the Women's March, where you have people from all different walks of life, where, you know, because I know that I was in Ann Arbor, and it's like, you know, no, don't put me in just the black box because of things that, yeah. that, that affect me. How important is it to you, even though you're going to probably get pushed back from all sides, but how is it important to you that you stand there and have that voice, not only speaking about black issues, speaking about women issues, you know, speaking about LGBTQ, that you, you know, you put the whole thing on, you've got your rainbow cape on, you know, you put your cape <laughs> on with everything, but how important is, is it to you that you are on those platforms bringing all those those pieces to the story? Um, it's an honor. You know, it's an honor because my ancestors did it in so many different ways that they didn't even have to have platforms. They could show you better than they could tell you. And that's how I've been kind of moving throughout these years. You know, so before I even, you know, got up and, you know, did the talk, I was walking the walk. 
And whether that mm-hmm. means in my own healing, but that was also helping survivors, you know, every single day of my life. And so um, it's an honor because everything about me says I shouldn't even exist or that I shouldn't have any type of importance. So when I stand up there, I want to be not saying I'm bigger than who I am, but I want to say if, if, if I can do this, you can do this too. And the more people that do that and have that collective voice and stand in their truth, like I keep saying, the more we're going to bring about change. Because hopefully those people will be inspired to vote. They will be inspired to run for office. They will be inspired to start movements. Like those, like that is the collective action. So when I get up there, it's not to say that I'm the expert, but it's to say, hey, if I can get with all these barriers and all this stuff, you can too. And that's just, that's, that's why it's important for me to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly agree. Well, we're going to take our second break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And I am so happy that you are there and you are here, Nicole. And we will Thank be you. right back. by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back with Nicole Denson. Now, Nicole, you were talking about um, the events in April, which is um, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, I think that, you know, I know that the way that it's been done, it's easy for, and I've talked to women of all generations to where often you just want to make it go away. You don't want to talk about it. Your family don't Mm want to talk about it. You know, people go like, why are you out there telling this or, or airing our dirty linen? Because often it's somebody in the family who has done this sexual assault. But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I also heard more and more, particularly from our mutual friend Kalima, was about how important it is to sort of not only to be out as a survivor, that that gives someone else the courage to come forward as a survivor, but to provide support for one another, mm-hmm. and ways to express it in different ways. Now, you're an artist. How has your art, and how do you find that art has helped other survivors deal with and express and form the message about what you want the world to know about you? Well, you know, to me, I um, I went to um, the Treaty Center in high school, and I graduated um, from there, and it was a wonderful experience because during that time, um, my father was killed um, in an auto accident. And so, art, um, I want to say, helped bring my connection back into to the to the world. I um, 
I had at that time, you know, as 15, 16. You know, that's a quintessential time in someone's life. And I remember having an art teacher. His name was Mr. Boyd. And he stepped in as a pseudo role model for me. In the days that I didn't even want to get up, I was dealing with depression and all of these um, all of these, these issues from the trauma I faced. I used to draw it out, paint it out. And I was able to, in the midst of sadness, create my own future through pictures, through art. You know, I think when you're able to create, um, it helps to give you, again, a sense of freedom and hope and power back to whatever situation you're dealing with. Um, you know, Kareem and I talk a lot about how her, the wonderful things in her organization are through creating. Um, black women, historically, we like using our hands. Um, a lot of times we had to use our hands, whether that was where we didn't want to or not. But um, a lot of us find comfort and creativity um, and expression because sometimes we don't have the words to say it. And so for me, art throughout my life, when I didn't have the words to say it, I painted it. And mm. that's why we have an art therapy group um, in Wayne County Savings so. You know, the way life is right now in 2018, sometimes you're like, I, I got to turn off the, the Internet. I got to turn off the TV. And the wonderful thing is to write. To, you don't even have to even think about it. Just write how you feel. Like to any survivors listening or any people dealing with trauma, write how you feel or draw it out. Because some people say, you know, I don't want to write out what I have to. You know, I might be in an unsafe situation or place. But to me, my paintings said more than my words. So I want to say that um, anyway, you know, whether it's yoga, dance, art, activism, which is, is mine as well, um, healing really has no timeline, and it doesn't have to look a certain way. So um, I want to say art really helped save my life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so um, this week... You were with Gloria Steinem. What was that like? I mean, you know, I think that some black people would say, oh, Gloria Steinem, again, that's that white woman. <laughs> but what do, you, what do you, well, you know, that white activist, that's not our struggle, but it is our struggle. <laughs> you know, we're women, okay, you know, we've got all, we've got a full hand of cards. What was that yes. like? What did you, what did you come away from after hearing her speak? Okay, so, you know, it was so funny because uh, my um, co-colleague, her name is Melissa Novak, and she's a human trafficking specialist. So she's just was, um, in awe of Gloria Steinem's activism and her leadership. So as soon as I heard she was coming, I called her. I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. It's just as exciting as I am when I, like, you can see no Beyonce is coming to town, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. she, she, to me, um, again, she let, she's, Showed me my my other parts of my my power and my identity. Um, I learned about her in my first women's studies class. And again, both of my parents were from the south. Um, racial solidarity and, and racial, you know, just the protection. Those conversations about police and race were had in my house, but not quite about women and what it was to be a black woman. So when I took my first women's studies classes, I learned about Gloria Steinem. And I was able to put everything together 
And so when I saw her, it was like seeing someone who has meant so much to me. And a lot of people say that she, you know, in the beginning did not put black women in the forefront. But as you heard her talk, even, you know, at her age, she has so much life. And she talked about intersectionality. She talked about how everyone uh, needs to be linked together and not linked. And just seeing her say these things um, gave, gave me an understanding that I can't give up because you can make mistakes. But, again, like, Gloria didn't have a playbook. You know, she was just doing this out of the passion of herself. So mm-hmm. It kind of gave me the freedom to be like, okay, I'm not going to always do things the way people want to. But if I stay on track with my mission, then you can accomplish so much. And um, I think that's what Gloria is a beacon for is that she she just had a passion and noticed equality was what she wanted. And she's, you know, she's she spoke phenomenally. And she said, you know, everybody asked her was like, it's like the Me Too a movement. And she said, well, to me, any type of, you know, movement is when you just get off your ass and you care. Mm. I, I just screamed and I screamed <laughs> and laughed and, mm-hmm. you know, clapped because it's true. Like, we're so worried about what's in back of our name or what's in front of our name. But if you just have the passion and you try to connect with community and learn that as a leader, you have weaknesses and others have strengths. Then I think that what I took away from that is that, you know, it, this could be a lifelong career, uh, number one, because I saw the, the the love in her eyes and the hope in her eyes. And, and so I took away from all of those different women that this isn't going to be the end of this Me Too and of, uh, and, and hopefully young, I saw a lot of young activists too. So that gave me hope as well. Mm-hmm. No, wow, that's great. I mean, and and it is, you know, and to be able to see also, I mean, it's like a constant evolution. Back, you know, when she first started this journey, it was a different world, and how it's yeah. like that evolution and inclusion, and so, and that's what, and here you're picking up at a different point of evolution and inclusion and doing it and talking about it. I mean, so I think that this is just, um, you know. You're just part of, it's part of a flow. And I think that women, yeah. are, we are part of the flow. And I think that particularly African-American women, women from the African diaspora, you know, there are things that, that we have had to make, to deal with and understand and work with that, you know, it's important we're in all these platforms and talking about it and, you know, peeling back the layers on so many things that right. people didn't want to admit, admit and do it. So I know that you're also, how, you know, I know that now you're hearing more and more people are talking about human trafficking. Um, for more, I mean, and many people think, oh, well, human trafficking, it's not, you know, the sex trade. I mean, there's human trafficking making people work when they're no longer able to work sometimes and they put them out, uh, you know, to work sex work. But, um, in Michigan, are you finding, is that something that, that now that you're starting to get legislators, uh, law enforcement are starting to become aware of human trafficking or really recognizing that it is, you know, a big problem and 
what are keys that that might say to someone, you know what, this situation right here might not be quite right, what I'm seeing happening, that this might be someone who's either grooming someone to be trafficked or a young person who maybe even just in their work situation is being trafficked. What what are the keys and what are you hoping to, how are you supposed to, hoping to elevate that discussion? You know, I feel like, um, unfortunately, because Michigan is now number two in the nation, uh, a lot of law enforcement, uh, education, and hospital officials had to get on board. You know, so I feel like I want to say that it's a, uh, you know, everyone has this understanding. Uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, law and legislation has really protected, uh, starting to understand the protecting, uh, protection that needs to happen. Um, so we have a lot of task force now, which is amazing because where one um, group of individuals can't see it or address it, others, others can. So um, in Wayne County State, we see human trafficking all the time. And so hospitals are now um, having mandatory training. Law enforcement has mandatory training. And so when they uh, report to the hospital, um, there are many protocols that, that are followed. And we have seen a lot of uh, really successful stories, even with Wayne County Safe. Like we will, you know, have a human trafficking survivor and be able to, um, you know, have them go back through transportation to another state or where they came from um, that, that is safe. Um, so, you know, some signs, you know, a lot of times people think of the movie, like the movie Taken. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it doesn't look like that. It, it just doesn't look like that, especially in marginalized communities. Um, and there's a difference uh, between labor tra- trafficking, sex trafficking. Um, and so one of the wonderful things is to actually do the research. Um, but, you know, in terms of human trafficking, um, like just the questions. Like, um, I remember I was off of work and I encountered a woman and... She had no ID. Um, she had no document. Um, you know, gave you a nickname. Uh, and, and so she, she had a lot of the signs. A lot of the signs are uh, not quite wanting to tell you where they're from. Um, not wanting to make eye contact. Um, having, like, bruises. Um, mm. Different things like that. Um, and it doesn't mean a person is screaming out for help. But even if you have an inkling that things aren't right, they probably aren't. And one of the best things I tell people is to be safe. Because now when people hear human trafficking, they want to go into rescue mode. Um, and that doesn't work. Um, what you have to do is be able to see if your safety first is the utmost and contact law enforcement. Um, if the survivor is safe and, and wants you to do something. Um, but the thing about it is, um, human trafficking is everywhere. Um, one of the things to do is to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. I can get you that number right now. Um, but if you suspect it, call it in. Because mm-hmm. what they do is they keep a track record of how many times a person has been called in, even with their nickname. And it gets sent to the proper officials. So, you know, we work a lot with them. And like I said, we have a human trafficking specialist uh, who actually does work 
throughout Wayne County. So, you know, I think that um, if you don't know, it's okay. But just having the, the, the wherewithal to say, okay, I might not know what I'm doing, but I can contact someone who can help you. Um, so where mm. is that number for um, okay. listeners now? And like I said, it's, it's 24 hours, and it's called Polaris. Um, mm-hmm. but it's known as the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And their website is humantraffickinghotline.org. And their number is 1-888-373-7888. Okay, you can say that one more time. Uh, their number is 1-888-373-7888. Or you can text two three three seven three three. Okay. Um, now we're coming towards the end. The in April you were talking about uh, the program you're having. What's the date of that? Uh, that is April seventh. Um, that is um, six p.m. at Holding House. And if you go to WCSASE dot org you'll find more information about that but i also want to talk about um really quick a rally um that i'm a part of because we're okay. talking about intersectionality um i just want to say and invite your listeners to the march for our lives gun reform rally um march 24th and it's a response to the the mass shootings um in mm-hmm. florida so um, I wanted to let people know that um, that's happening here and it's happening all across the country. Um, and so they can actually um, come in and speak to um, the issues um, that are in all of our schools. Um, the rally is being planned in Ann Arbor and it's beginning at 11 a.m. Um, okay. And so if you go to, uh, like, for instance, Metro Times has it. Um, we're going to be pushing out flyers and information as more uh, towards the date. But I just wanted to um, invite your listeners to the March for Our Lives, which is a, a national rally. So I have a question, though, you know, and I'm glad to, you know, because I almost forgot that, and I think that that's so important. And I'm glad that they're doing that March for Our Lives. Why do you think, and I have my own opinion, but why do you think that now, there seems to be more action about the these shootings at school when I'm gonna tell you, when Sandy Hook went down, I was up mm. all night. I was just like distraught. I mean, I remember talking to friends of mine across the country. We were just like calling each other like these are babies who were getting killed and you know, and then nothing. But now mm-hmm. it just seems after this last one, is it just because you had kids who are older and speaking up that that is motivating it what do you feel is making this different i feel like it is just that um i will tell you when i saw those young activists talking um it brought tears to my eyes because Mm -hmm. if anything in this country uh, everyone is woke (laughs) and i feel as if instead of them saying, accept my, you know, I, I, I accept all of your thoughts and prayers. They say, I want action. Uh-huh. That is powerful. And we're not minimizing prayer, but we prayed as a nation for all of these other shootings. 
And these children, for it to come out their mouth, how can you not pay attention to that? And so it gave me hope because these children were so brave. I mean, they just experienced trauma of the most horrific. And they said they want action. To me, I think their voices is not going to lead change. And they're going to inspire other young teenagers to do it. So that's why I think we're doing something now. And that's why I'm involved. Because if mm-hmm. they can do it, I can do it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I, I, you know, really, that's what I think it is. That here they are of that voice. That's the future. And like I said, yeah. in, in a few years, they'll be voting. You know, so I just sort of thought, <laughs> yeah. wow. I mean, I, I just found that was just like, like so different. And it felt good yeah. to know that there was going to be this, this march that's going on and that they're showing up and you're seeing, you know, actions happen. You see companies. Uh, you know, stepping away from the NRA. You see yeah. some legislators now getting some some guts and doing something. So I think that, it, uh, you know, I agree with you. So I will see you on the 24th. Nicole, Woo! I want to thank you. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for for being on the show today. You give me a lot of hope and and joy people like you who are doing it sometimes uh it's like a, an, an energy boost that you get when the days where i'm going like oh i can't do this anymore then i'll look yeah. and i'll see and there you are speaking up knowing that we we won't get to the finish line if we don't have people who we can pass the baton to mm-hmm. you've got the baton and i know that you will run with it to the finish <laughs> line or till you have someone else to hand it to but we're going to get this mm-hmm. done Thank you, Michelle. And it's women like <laughs> who are so successful who say those things and provide that, that sisterhood and that, that mentorship and that uh, just that knowledge that I need some days. You know, that just mm-hmm. like, keep going, girl. Like, keep going. Like, there's that black girl magic. Keep going. And I, and I love it. Like, I love it. And I just thank you so much for letting me have this time on your show. Um and I just appreciate you as a person, so thank you. I look forward to seeing you on the 24th, if not before then. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Collections by Michelle Brown. I want to thank today's guest, Nicole Denson, for being with us and talking about so many important things um, related, particularly this Women's History Month. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.